Hi, and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm James. And I'm Callum. And this is the only podcast where we're all into musical theatre. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. And this week, we're dipping back in time to New Amsterdam, New Amsterdam with the extremely divisive Dalek two-parter Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks. James, question for you. How do you feel about Daleks? I have a complicated relationship with Daleks. I think it's been pretty uh, firmly established on this show that I don't love them. Um, or rather, I love them, but I don't love the way that they're often used by, by new who, um, yeah. It's at least we're going to entering into an episode today where I think I can pretty safely say this is one of the better Dalek stories I've seen come out of New Who. Yeah, I um I actually wouldn't disagree with that, and I think it's worth us putting at the top of this episode that these episodes are not universally loved. In fact, in the Doctor Who fandom, it, they're pretty reviled. But we're both going to go out on a limb with this episode and say that this is actually one of our favourite, if not our favourite, Dalek story yet. Um, Truly. Yeah, I was definitely surprised when you told me um, the general sort of critical reception to these episodes was not particularly high. Um, that that definitely bums me out in, in a big way, and we're going to get into why in just a little bit. Uh, being that it is the top of the show, we do have a lot of housekeeping to do. Um, as always, if you want your thoughts on Daleks or how you feel about this two-parter or whatever topic you feel like, if you just want to riff with the lads, uh, wing us an email at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com, and that's to the word two. We do have some Dr. Who news at the top of this episode just a couple of bits and pieces this one caught my eye and it's been a few weeks since it's been out now um chris chibnall says that john bishop the man they've hired as the new companion brings a different flavor to doctor who a different flavor what 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 flavor might that be what 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 flavor might that be, Chris Chibnall? Um, yeah, I saw this too, and it's like I I respect that you know they've got to enter into their hype cycle, and and obviously they're they're going to do what they're going to do to sort of talk up uh, Dan the man. Um, but yeah, reading through it was just a bit like. I don't know what you think Doctor Who needs as a quote-unquote new flavour, but I can almost guarantee you it's not a middle-aged white man. Yeah, it it reads, this article reads to me as being like, don't worry, like, there's stuff coming. Um, you know, it. yes, we've gone exactly in the direction you'd expect us to because we're the BBC and we're middle class and conservative, but don't worry, it'll be different. Um, and <laughs> maybe I'm just jaded by this point. Probably jaded. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I understand. I am equally as jaded as you are on this topic. And yeah, it's just, it continues to be a bummer that his casting was not some kind of a fever dream, you know? Yeah, exactly. But moving swiftly onwards, uh, the other bit of (laughs) news that was spun into mega proportions is, uh, I think Bill Potts actor Pell Mackey tweeted or made a post about, um, or did an interview we do a lot of research on the show, obviously. Um, <laughs> obviously, yeah. <laughs> where she said that uh, she'd like to return uh, one day, you know, loved playing Bill. Um, and then that's been spun out into a whole story about how she's coming back to Doctor Who, which I just find funny. 
Uh, yeah, well, it's like when we talked about this with Carrie Mulligan last week. Like, if an actor that's been on Doctor Who gets asked about Doctor Who and they say anything other than outright, like, fuck no, I don't ever want to go on the show again, it's going to get reported as if, like, oh, it's possible that they're coming back. Um, and I don't know, whatever. It's just part of our media landscape the way things are today. Um, obviously, though, I think both of us are very much in the boat of, like, bring Bill Potts back. Like, Bill Potts was a phenomenal character and a queer character. We would love to see her again. Um, but I, I don't get the impression she's coming back. No, not in a million years. Um, you know, they've got John Bishop out there doing his thing, being different. You know, they don't need Bill. I'm being facetious. <laughs> Just so you know. I think I think they knew you were being facetious. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, so that's all the Doctor Who news this week. Before we get into discussion of the episode, though, I think we just need to take a couple of seconds to acknowledge something else that we have been openly discussing on the podcast, which is obviously you, James, and your um, ongoing odyssey watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the first time. Now, <clears throat> it has come out uh, in the last in the, uh, uh, the week preceding us recording this episode that um, you know, Charisma Carpenter made a very public statement about... Um, her experience on the sets of Buffy and Angel, uh, the abuse that she suffered, emotional abuse and phys- uh, verbal abuse that she has suffered um, from Joss Whedon directly. This has been backed up by Amber Benson, Michelle Trachtenberg, um, Marty Noxon, Sarah Michelle Geller herself uh, making a post as well. And it's this isn't a story that is like that hasn't been out for a while. Um, Joss Whedon's ex-wife uh, made a, a very public statement in 2017 that got quietly swept under the rug. Um, but it is now back in the in the zeitgeist. And I think you and I both just want to make a, like, a very clear statement of it here and now that we 100% believe and stand with the, uh, the people who've made these allegations. And um, it's... Yeah... I'm I'm tripping over my words because it's such yeah. an emotional area and such an emotionally charged area and because Buffy is something that you and I both hold very, very dear and mm. we want to be absolutely respectful to the people involved in it. Um, yeah, it just comes down to like, uh, we talked about this and, uh, you know, if you go back and listen to our uh, shows at a certain point last year, I started watching Buffy and we talked about Buffy. I recommended that you go and watch Buffy. I think we both were very wholeheartedly like, fuck yeah, on the Buffy train. And I mean, we still are about the show itself, um, but there is definitely a responsibility when something like this happens. Oftentimes, the importance of the art is what's used to shield the man behind the art, and we Mm. definitely don't want that to be the case for our show. Like, uh, I think, as Callum said, it's been known for a while that Joss Whedon is not a good dude, and this is just obviously uh, adding more and more on top of that. Um, it's, It's unfortunate it's gross it's disgusting deplorable behavior we yeah like like Helm said we absolutely stand with um any victim who comes forward to talk about uh their experiences with him um Sarah Michelle Geller made a statement that I thought summed it up quite well which was that she's not uh like she's proud to have her name associated with Buffy Summers but she no longer wants to be associated with Joss Whedon um and I think that you know varying degrees of, of, you know, what you can do as a fan, what you feel comfortable with, what you're able to sort of disassociate in, in your mind or whatever it is. Um, but 
yeah, in much the same vein, we absolutely condemn Joss Whedon um, while still trying to sort of respect and emotionally connect with the work that s- countless other people did, um, including like a fantastic showrunner, being Marty Noxon, um, obviously all the actors involved as well. Like these things don't come out of nowhere and it's not coming out of just one man. Um, but yeah, it, it just it just plain fucking sucks. Look, that's it. And any hesitation or... Like I said before, in our voices is only because um, it's awful. It's just awful. It's awful and it's not something that we can really speak on with any sort of authority. Like, again, we're just like two dudes no. sitting here fucking talking about Doctor Who. But like, we we just wanted to say something because we thought that was better than saying nothing. Well, and that's exactly what I was going to say. It's just that it, just because it's awful to talk about doesn't mean you shouldn't talk about it. And I think that there would be, there's a, a you know, misogyny and not just misogyny, but so many different things like are successful because they rely on the silence of other people and it would be very easy for us to just not acknowledge it at all because it doesn't directly affect us but that's not helpful and it's not how we're gonna do things so you know fuck joss whedon fuck him to hell and that's all i have to say yeah pretty pretty much uh speaking of pig men (laughs) let's uh let's get into uh daleks in manhattan and evolution of the daleks I've always wanted to go to New York. It's the depression, sweetie. Your heart might break, but the show goes on. Hooverville mystery deepens. Arm yourselves! Come on! Who are we working for? Behold your masters. What do you mean, creatures? What the hell was that? Doctor. Right! Hands in the air and no funny business. Where's Martha? Daleks in Manhattan, Evolution of the Daleks are episodes four and five of series three of Doctor Who, first broadcast in 2007. Uh, Directed by James Strong, who is a Doctor Who alumni at this stage, have done a few episodes last season and will go on to do more in season four. Um, And written by Helen Rayner, first time writer, uh, script editor for the show in the past. We'll have a bit to say about her in a bit. We've dropped the IMDb's. We've dropped the IMDb's because we just found they were just not, you know... They were too good. They were too good. (laughs) They were too good. And here is the plot of Daleks in Manhattan. The Doctor and Martha land in 1930s New York in the middle of the Great Depression. They discover that people have been going missing from a camp in Central Park called Hooverville, where the victims of the economic downturn have built a community led by a man named Solomon. The missing townsfolk have been kidnapped and murdered by the construction effort to build the Empire State Building led by Mr. Diagoras and the remaining Daleks from the cult of Scarrow. One of the missing workers is the lover of a showgirl named Tallulah, who teams up with the TARDIS crew to investigate the mysterious disappearances. In the sewers below the city, the crew discovers the Daleks as they are kidnapped and brought to a laboratory where the insane aliens have been turning humans into pig-headed slaves. Sek, the leader, reveals this was done to test genetic splicing as he wishes to mix with human DNA to advance and save the Dalek race. He merges with Diagoras and becomes the first of the new hybrid race, causing the other Daleks to question his authority as his purity has been corrupted. A war breaks out between the humans and the new Dalek-infused humans, Uh, resulting in Sek being murdered for attempting to make peace with the Doctor and the genocide of the new race at the hands of the last remaining Dalek, Khan. 
The Doctor confronts Khan, but he teleports away, leaving the Doctor to pick up the pieces and save Salula's partner before leaving with Martha. Nice. Well done. Thank you. Uh, you don't know this at home, listeners, but that was maybe the sixth draft. <laughs> there is a staggering amount of plot. I mean, granted, it is a two-parter, but there is a lot of plot in this two-parter. There is an extraordinary amount, and I had a go at it initially, and there was just like beat for beat going through all the story of bits of the episode and it just would have been awful to read out loud and you know there's a lot of plot like there's a lot of stuff that happens in these episodes but the plot itself uh, or is the Daleks plan is fairly simple to follow that's for sure yeah it's very um pulpy let's say it is it is which is probably a good place to start with our discussion James what do you think? Doctor Who as a B-movie? Good? Bad? Yeah, um, I, I remember the last time we had a mid-series two-parter with the uh, Cybermen. We kind of referred to that one as a like schlocky action B-movie. Um, and this is run in the opposite direction with a different villain now where we've got not a, a schlocky B-movie, but a very like pulpy, uh, almost noir, but not quite noir um, kind of mystery film going on, you know, very speakeasy New York years and what and whatnot. Um, I think it works surprisingly well. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in here that I can definitely see rubbing people the wrong way uh, because it does lean all the way into it, a lot of its aesthetic inspiration, um, it, especially in terms of like, you know, accents and costuming and like there's a big musical number. Like it goes so hard with that stuff. Um, but for me, why it works so well is it backs it all up with one of the more interesting and ideologically rich Dalek stories that we've ever gotten before. And so when you merge those two things, things together you get like the trappings of a pulpy b movie with the underpinnings of like an a-grade sci-fi drama um and it, it's the best of what doctor who can be in my opinion um how about you yeah <clears throat> i think there's a great risk with these episodes to dismiss them on a purely surface level to look at the elements of this episode that you know uh i think schlocky and pulpy are bo- probably both the same thing to be honest. Um, but like, uh, yeah, yes and no. Like I think specifically when you're talking about like film and, uh, media and whatnot, like, uh, I don't know. To me, I, I draw very distinctly different images when I think of schlock versus when I think of pulp. Um, but I just had to have my two cents there. It's okay. Cause I came for you. I came for you real hard then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all of that aside, like, Let's, like, if we're going to be honest, it's not a entirely faithful or historically accurate rendering of 1930s New York or America in general. There are issues with accents. There are, you know, some hammy moments. And your enjoyment of these episodes are going to hinge on whether you can allow that stuff to pass or whether you're going to get hung up on it. I think if you get hung on, hung up on it, you're just going to have a bad time and you're going to have a bad take on this episode that isn't deserving at all. Because like you say, (laughs) the Dalek stuff is the most interesting development in their, like in their history since they were first introduced, as far as I'm concerned. And Mm. that 
even if the trappings of the episode, you know, are the other case to be made, obviously, is that like the trappings of the episode have the potential to rob them of some power that they, you know, have the show has been building up for them over the past three years. Um, and that's more of a valid case to be made, I would say, but I do think that the Daleks in these episodes do function entirely as they always have. And if, and the best thing about them actually is that like we see them as a functioning society and personality and the personalities of the Daleks like actually start to come through. And some people would say that's heresy. Some people say there should just be like an endless marching, well, uh, zooming mm. <laughs> army. Um, but to say that the Daleks can never change is to side with them in a, in an, in an odd little like way. And <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Like I think that this episode is so brilliant because of what it allows us to imagine for change. And that's the end of my rant on you go. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there though, because like the idea that people just want the Daleks to be a stagnant kind of villain for the doctor to go up against and conquer every time is the part that I find most confusing about doctor who's relation. Well, fandoms relationship and by extension, some creators relationship with the Daleks. Um, because I think that when you view them as nothing more than, uh, space Nazis in tanks, um, that's a good jumping off point for something, but you, then you need to jump off into something from there. Um, and I think the worst instances of the Daleks in um, New Who are when they are simply just exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. Um, and so <clears throat> you get an episode like this one where instead of focusing on the sort of external elements of the Dalek, um, and I think this comes from the fact that uh, this is, you know, the first one that's, first Dalek story written by a woman certainly helps in this regard, I think, because what Helen Rayner does for both the human characters and the Daleks is give them both interiority. Um, and I think that is a massive step forward because it allows you to almost sympathize with a Dalek. It, it gives, mm. and in a way that Dalek doesn't, um, because I thought that that story definitely made you sympathetic towards like the kind of Wally sad robot version of the Daleks. Um, but cause that wasn't a quote unquote actual pure Dalek in it's fine kind of fired up form. Um, you can't quite apply that to the Daleks as a whole. Whereas the cult of Scaro are, you know, they're Daleks, like they're, they're mm. bred and died in the wall kind of Daleks. They're, they're very for the violence, for the, the progression of their own race and nothing else. And so when you've got that kind of a Dalek, there's this amazing scene where it's up on the top of the Empire State Building looking out over Earth. And it's saying that like, my entire world is gone and yet you still have all of this. And it's still just a little fucking Dalek tin can swiveling around with its eye. But I felt something. Mm. Um, and that's not... That, that shouldn't be immediately just like thrown away because you don't like the fact that, you know, half of the time in the set, these two episodes, somebody's like, well, gosh, Mr. G. <laughs> I- <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> I want to get to that. Um, I-, I like that you've made the Dalek comparison with, and specifically with Dalek from 2005, because, um, with specific reference to interiority and like just general characterization of the Daleks, it's not done well. It's never been done well because they've always been this homogenous 
group that follow a, a like group think that follow the like the ideals and the um the doctrine of the their like entire reason for living and are unwavering from that point so they're not supposed to act one could argue in the way that they do in this episode but <clears throat> with dalek we saw for the first time that actually this new era of the show has established that not only do they have emotions, but they use those emotions. And this is something Moffat also built on a little bit more is they use their emotions as tools and weapons to get their means to get to the, what they want. And, you know, Dalek, yes, it, it didn't have the same level of interiority that we see here in this story because that episode was largely functioning on a, um, keeping it out of remove. And we can't understand this creature even up to the end where it chooses to kill itself. Like that is a fundamentally like wrong choice from our perspective, from our very human perspective. Um, even if it is undergoing those changes, whereas this one, like I think what we benefit from with this story most definitely is that this isn't just a new, as in with every other Dalek story there is, this isn't just a new batch that we've run into for like another time. This is history. These are Daleks that the doctor has specific history with. And the last time that we encountered this group of four his best friend he got separated from his best friend and we've seen how traumatic that um and how much of an imprint that has left on him and the doctor and his actions over the past few episodes so there's a lot of weight that's carried in this story by reintroducing them by having him encounter them again um and we get to see them function as a group of four and not just as four rampaging Daleks you know Sek is the biggest and clearest example of this but one of my favorite moments in the episode is when the uh, two of the random Daleks which kind of me saying that kind of negates my whole point um but <laughs> two of the cult of Skaro Daleks like are in the sewers and they dismiss their slaves away and then one of them says what is your opinion of Dalek Sek and he's like he is our leader and he's like but you have doubts and then the other one does this little <laughs> eye swivel, which I love, to check the coast is clear, and then turns back and he's like, yes. And the the uh, the direction as well helps support this. You get constant cuts to the Daleks. Whenever Sek makes like a controversial Dalek statement, the Daleks are looking at each other like, what the fuck? You just... Yeah. Ah, oh, there's just like a sense of them as a group. And like, I know this sounds like this is just like fundamental storytelling, right? But when it comes, but it's never been applied to a Dalek group before. And so seeing them function, especially in that second episode is just fascinating to watch. Mm, it truly is. That's why I brought up that scene where um, he's up there with Diagoras and he's looking out over mm. the city. And it's like you said, with that scene in the underground as well, it's, it's the way the camera focuses on their eye like you know like i i feel like i'm looking into the eyes of a creature as opposed to a tank which is what i always kind of feel when i'm looking at a dalek i don't get any of that sort of um you know empathetic emotional connection to it because it's a it's a fucking salt and pepper shaker um but this episode goes out of its way to allow for quiet moments with daleks mm. um and that is it's revolutionary to me um and it, it what's it's what makes it, it what makes it 
it's what makes me care about them so much in this episode. And it's why like having an ideological divide between those four Daleks is so fascinating because it's the kind of dynamic that you feel like you would get with any other kind of villain that isn't a robot. Um, but now we're, we're finally getting that sort of afforded to, to them. And it, yeah, it just results in like a really interesting dynamic. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very, very, it's a unique take on the Daleks. Uh, and I, applaud this episode these episodes for doing that bit of trivia backstory for this particular story so originally it was offered to Stephen Moffat to write um and then I don't know I think time got away from him or some bullshit excuse and he was like I can't do it um which ended up being fortuitous because he wrote an episode we're going to discuss later Blink which is infamous so then after he you mean famous well, same thing, right? In- infamous is when you're famous for a bad reason. Okay. <laughs> That's just the English language, hunty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back on to it. <clears throat> Which ended up being fortuitous because he ended up writing an episode we're going to discuss much later called Blink, which is famous. And you've probably heard of it even if you've never heard of Doctor Who. It's just how famous it is. Um, but then after he turned it down... Uh, the story was given to Helen Rayner, who had been the script editor or a script editor on the show up to this point. Um, now, <clears throat> obviously infamous. Oh, I keep saying infamous. Obviously famous for being the first woman to write Doctor Who in the revived era. But also, I didn't realize this, the first woman to write a Dalek story for television, um, mm. which is just mind boggling. And this is an essential path to go down that I don't want to necessarily subscribe to. I don't think that being a woman means you have a better grasp of like interior lives and um, emotions and all that stuff. Like that's just, that's like an essentialism take on gender that I don't want to go down, but I'm going to go down it (laughs) because (laughs) there is a level of, empathy maybe or just um care given to the individual lives of each of the characters in this in these episodes yeah like it is a kind of essentialism in a way um but i think it's kind of like it's the reason why diversity in a writing room matters so much. It's not because like diverse voices are inherently better or special compared to other voices, but it's because they can bring a different perspective to things. And that's all this story does for the Daleks. It's just a new perspective on them. And, you know, I think that's why for you and I, it's such a refreshing take on things is because it feels genuinely new. And that is because it came from a genuinely new voice inside of the Who writing team. That it took them three seasons to bring in a woman is... It's like a whole thing. Um, And, you know, that it took them the entire history of the show to let a woman try to write a Dalek is another whole thing. Um, But I'm glad that this is what we got as the end result, even if it is sort of what you and I consider to be wildly misunderstood as a story. um, I think for the people who are willing to engage with this thing on its own level, uh, you get a really fascinating look at not just the emotional interiority of the Daleks, but also a proper expansion on their ideology as well Uh, yeah i think that this yeah like it just to pair it back just slightly um before we get into that um what this episode does so brilliantly and again i'm annoyed that we're having to say that this is a brilliant thing to do because it should just be 
script writing 101. But it's a change for the Daleks, you know? That's what's happening here. Mm. It's... We are a scavenger race now. We are not the the predominant um, menace of the universe. In fact, we're far from it. We're in the sewers now. We need to change. And even the idea, introducing the idea of change into the Dalek race is in itself against the Dalek race. Um, just opens up so many storytelling potentials. And in some ways, I'm really sad that Sec... Even if it makes sense, I'm in some ways I'm sad that Sek has to die in this episode because he represents such a way forward for them in storytelling po- uh, possibilities, you know? Mm, totally. I think that, like, obviously the moment that he becomes the human Dalek hybrid, he's going to die because that, that sort of thing is just not going to be allowed to continue to exist inside Doctor Who. Um, but... You know, when he's still inside his casing, I'm just like, you just just go off and have your own little adventures sec. You know, like, I'll follow you. <laughs> like, there is so much, like you said, there's so much potential in a Dalek that is simultaneously still beholden to the idea of furthering the Dalek race, yeah. but has let go of the, uh, like, racial essentialism of the Daleks. Um, like, it, it has fully abandoned the... Um, sort of the bigotry that there that is burned into them from from get from day one uh it has unlearned that stuff mm. and realized the follies of, of that kind of ideology and is trying desperately to lead uh, like people who are still believers away from that kind of like light um it's and just it's genuinely interesting it's really interesting and you know there's obviously the case to be made that it it's only by a, a an accident or a quirk that Sec gains the perspective to, like, he, when he enters into the transaction with Diagoras and um, merges with him, it's not with the intention that he himself is going to change or that he is going to um, <clears throat> fundamentally just destroy what it means to be a Dalek. Like, that's not part of it. It's all about survival for him. Um, but then even, like, that notion of to, like this is just what I love so much about the Daleks is like they start like the reason they are Daleks, the reason they are mutants is because they needed to change to adapt to a nuclear environment as a result of war. They used to be human, right? They used to be human shaped and then they mutated. So they built the machine that they traveled in, but somewhere along the line by Davros, their mental conditioning was like made to think that they could not change anymore, that they were stagnant. They were stayed. They couldn't, they were stopped, basically. And, you know, mm. for Sec to imagine that they could change before he's merged with Diagoras, you know, it just says a lot to me about, like, how, the again, the storytelling possibilities for the Daleks in that they don't have to completely obey their conditioning, that they... Can. Yeah, doesn't he have that really good line where he's like, the Daleks must walk again, or like walk the earth again, or whatever it was? Yeah, it's a really good moment when he's like, I think he's like mid uh, merging with Diagoras, and they're like, oh, we have to abort the, the experiment, you know, you're going to die. And he's like, no, don't touch me. Isn't this where all of our, uh, isn't this why we were made? Isn't this where all of our travels have led us to this point where we can step outside the shell, or something like that? Mm. It's just. Oh, it's just exciting to watch, you know? 
it is exciting. It, it absolutely is. And then, yeah, once he merges with Digress and he becomes um, Penis Head, uh, which we should say, we should say, I personally think it is a very good achievement of physical design. I, I think that it is a, a solid prosthetic mask, even if it does look like he has dicks protruding out of his face. Um, once he merges and, and he becomes the walking uh, Dalek hybrid, um, I think his intention is to take the natural uh, tendencies for war from the human spirit and merge that with the Daleks. But instead he ends up getting obviously everything, including our empathy and our uh, sympathies for other things and whatnot. And so he starts experiencing the full range of, of human emotions. Um, and as soon as he, like, you combine that with his already amazing intelligence that was already questioning the original Dalek ways. And yeah, you've got like a proper... Ironically, like an evolution of the Daleks. Well, I mean, yes, that title wasn't a mistake. <laughs> oh, yeah. For some reason, I was like, evolution of the Daleks was the um, the Chibnall one, wasn't it? I was like, no, no, that was, that was revolution, which would also be a fine title for this one. Well, exactly, because this also has a revolution of sorts, um, even if it's on a much smaller scale. Um, Still more of a revolution <laughs> than the revolution had. <laughs> that's also true that's actually so true look these I think that the Dalek plot in this episode and the Daleks in general are some of the best they've ever been and I think that you have to you, I, I, I personally don't think you, you like you know you have to like sweep aside all the other stuff that's going on in this story to get at this and enjoy it I think it's all there up front and it takes a real miserly person to look at everything else that's happening in this story and be like, ooh, it's all shit. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Especially when you consider the fact that a lot of what else is going on in this story, um, even if you don't like the aesthetic elements of it, it is thematically worked into the Dalek stuff as well. Mm. Um, you know, you've you've got the uh, not at all subtle commentary of the fact that, um, you know, down below in uh, Hooverville, you know, you've got all these like, you know, countless people starving and out of work and whatnot while the Empire State Building is being built above them. And, you know, at one point Solomon is like, you know, how can they possibly build this incredible achievement and monument to man while we're literally down here in its shadow starving? Um, so you, you've got that element going on already. And then when you combine that with the fact that, you know, this massive capitalist endeavor is literally being led by Daleks who are literally using pigs, pig slaves to, to build it. Um, like it's, it's not subtle thematic work. I would definitely give you that, but I don't think that Doctor Who is a doctor who is seldom subtle with its theme work is, is I guess what I would say. And so for me, it fits perfectly into the established sort of like tone of mixing the absurd with the realistic and the, the heart of a story that uh, RTD's era is, is very much known for, you know? Like, I think it's something that you and I've talked about a lot where like a lot of times during RTD's era, you've got like pulpy, big, sweeping sci-fi epic stuff combined with the, like, genuine heart of the story that's going on with Rose or with Donna or whatever it is. But, like, um, and this is something you, you've you argued with me a lot about, which is that Doctor Who often has to be both because it's a family show. Mm. Um, and while I always want it to be the darker, more grown-up version of itself, it's never going to be that. And so when I see people complaining that, you know, this two-parter is too, like, cutesy at times, I'm like, well, it's Doctor Who, though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah. It's it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because like Doctor Who at this point has become a, like appointment television. 
it's premiere television. It's like very, very popular and it's also very, very good. And so all, I think that all of that combines to make the scrutiny on this season in particular, all that more important and big. David Tennant obviously doesn't help that either. Um, But I think that there's just something like, I think there's something kind of crappy about the very first episode by a writer being like immediately dunked on for things that you wouldn't criticize other episodes for necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think back to like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Will You Be My Mummy two-parter. I always forget the names. <laughs> oh, The Empty Child. Yeah, The Empty Child stuff, which was uh, obviously, again, a much more darker episode, but it still had Cockney children being all like, oh, please, sir, can I have some more? And nobody fucking bats an eye at that stuff in, in that story. Um, and then, you know, when you come to this story, because it's a bit more earnest, it's a bit more hard on its sleeve with a lot of its, um, like, uh, the, the stuff is obviously Tallulah and Laszlo is, is the thing that I think a lot of people get hung up on here. Um, and Tallulah is something we're going to talk about in just a minute when we kind of get to the people of this story as opposed to the dialects. Um, but I do think what it boils down to is that like for a lot of people in sci-fi storytelling, they can't stand bold-faced earnestness. It makes them uncomfortable because they think it's too silly or it's too it's too honest in, in what it's trying to do there. I think people like for things to be quote unquote cool. And what I like so much about the story is that it it does it's not concerned about being cool. It's concerned about telling the story that it's telling in the time that it's telling it. And yes, it's sensationalized, but Again, it's Doctor Who. It sensationalizes history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I um, I was listening to another podcast sort of had the thoughts on this episode and they were saying about how it wasn't an authentic experience of that time. But then I'm like, well, A, it's very well publicized that it's riffing on B, monster movies. So mm, don't know how you missed that. But also like B, <laughs> like... No one we know is alive was alive in this period. We don't know what it was really like. Our only frame of reference is dun, 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 movies. So for this episode to, mm. to for it would have been a far harder endeavor for a Welsh-based science fiction show to do an accurate portrayal of 1930s New York. So they've gone for the cultural, like culturally known version of that era, and. I don't think it's a wrong impulse. I think so many people do it. And because, I mean, let's be honest, because it's a Dalek story, there's an extra level of scrutiny on top of the scrutiny I've already mentioned. And a requirement on, from a lot of people's point of view, that these episodes need to be dead serious because the Daleks are there Mm. and you can't screw up the Daleks' legacy. And I think you and I both like, made it pretty clear that what the big reason, the huge reason why we like this episode is fundamentally because it is about change. And if you don't like change, like this episode is asking you to embrace, then you got a problem, fella. <laughs> yeah. Like it's explicitly about how not changing is a toxic way to live your life. Um, which is, you know, a, a nice subtle bit of commentary on Dr. Who's fandom's relationship with the Daleks. Well, um, I, I want to hit on one point that you just made there, but like the, 
the idea that like this had to be a historically accurate representation of 1930s New York when it goes out of its way to set it in a theater, which is a, like a very exaggerated place. It's a microcosm of the culture at the time. It's about artsy people and working class people's relationship with, you know, this very specific Great Depression sort of moment in history. It's not a history lesson. It's not a broad view of what reality was back then. It's, you know, who were the people alive at this mm. time who could relate to the story? Let's tap on them. We've got a great uh, setup with the the stage stuff and, you know, the the uh, tunnels that go underground from, from the back. It feels very classic Doctor Who in that sense, like one location that connects to the other locations and whatnot. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I just think it works. Um, and it makes me question when people get on like this episode's goat about, uh, not being historically accurate, but then, you know, what, two episodes ago, Martha is walking around, uh, a super old timey British colony and it's just like, Oh, racism's not a problem. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. And you need only look at the, like the way they portray Shakespeare in that episode to be like, this isn't, Exactly. <laughs> the exactly. It, this season in particular, historical accuracy actually I might take that back. Um this show doesn't always need to be historically accurate. The doc- Doctor Who's relationship with history in and of itself has always swung wildly between like accurate retellings and portrayals of history to using them as backdrops to tell science fiction stories. Um I think this originated in like the 1970s with the Time Warrior, which was like a medieval set story, but it wasn't a medieval set. It wasn't remotely accurate, but it used knights and castles and like swords and all that King Arthur stuff. And it was good, you know, it was an entertaining story. Um, so, yeah, look, ultimately it's, is this story entertaining or is it not? And it's hugely entertaining for the reasons we've already mentioned. Uh, speaking of being entertained, um, I would like to turn a I to Tallulah yep. uh, with what two L's and a H, or however she says it. What do you um, mean, creatures? <laughs> I I fucking love Tallulah. Um, I think that it is a just a knockout performance. Um, what I enjoy so much about her is that, and again, I think this comes from having a woman in in the writer's seat. Um, but like what I find so fascinating about Tallulah is that she is a total trope from this era of, of kind of like B-movie uh, stuff and whatnot. Uh, like, you t- like she's, you know, the showgirl, she's in a skimpy little outfit, she's the lead, you know, but she, sh- she shouldn't be the lead, she's only there because of an accident, which is a great showgirl's reference if you ask me, but whatever. Um, <laughs> And so to take that character and to give her that like very like, what do you mean, sir? Like voice. But then, you know, you take the fact that she's lovelorn and you use it to display her kindness and her empathy towards uh, Laszlo when she finds out that he's been turned into like this half pig man. She still loves him in the end. It it doesn't matter to her. Um, The camera is never leery with her. Like it is, she is beautiful and you you're definitely meant to admire the fact that she looks good, but it's not objectifying her in any kind of way. Um, on top of that, she's also just super whip smart. Like she's constantly using her smarts to like help out the situation. Uh, she refuses to be damseled by the doctor. Like he goes down into the sewers and she's, he's like, this is way too dangerous for you. And she's like, well, that's fucking my problem, man. Like my, my man's down here. I'm coming with you. I, I just think everything to do with Tallulah is, is just wonderful. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, 
even if she is a slight character, um, she definitely stands out uh, of the guest actors, I think, this week. Um, also, because she's the only other female character um, oh, other than yeah. Martha. Um, but on the subject of Martha, like, the scenes that they get together are just great. And again, like, um, I don't know if this is because a woman is finally writing the show or what, but... As we've come to expect, every, uh, you know, episode this season has had a scene of Martha being like, the Doctor doesn't love me, I don't know why. Um, that's a very good voice. Um, <laughs> mm, yep, sounded great in my headphones. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for the people. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Every episode we have to get this scene where Martha pines for the Doctor and he doesn't reciprocate. But what I love about this story is that we get that scene but it's Martha having that conversation with uh, a woman. And I love, like, Tallulah's response to Martha telling her that, you know, she's pines after the doctor, but he doesn't look at her. It's like, her response is like, you got to live in hope. And even if, you know, even if we view Martha's, and I think accurately view Martha's, like, lovelorn storyline as, like, not very well serving the character and not well serving the show in general. Um, it's a better take, I think, on that whole storyline because, A, it ties into the theme of blind faith that we've already seen established this season and is going mm-hmm. to be established further on yeah. down the line. Um, but, you know, it's about... <sighs> it, it For me, it just changes that, that storyline because... Um, if we can view Martha's love as for the doctor as hopeful, um, what am I trying to say? Like if we, I think you're trying to give a, a very good faith reading of a potentially bad faith bit of writing. Do you think a little, because like I, I do fundamentally understand where you're coming from because in this episode is the only time that I enjoyed this side of Martha as well. And it is because, you know, she gets to talk to another woman about it. it. It's not necessarily a woe is me moment. It's just a, I don't fucking know. Like, I like this guy, but he doesn't even seem to notice me. And then, like, they get some really good dialogue about Rose where Martha's like, you know, um, oh, sometimes I do things or I say something and he looks at me, but he's not seeing me. He's just remembering her. And like, that is a brilliant distillation of their entire, the entire issue with their dynamic that then in this episode becomes text and then goes back to being subtext and not at all the focus later on, which is a whole other issue that we're going to get to in time. Um, but because Tallulah is so insightful and empathetic, you do get like a, a really good, you know, kind of like positive take on, on that dynamic. Um, yeah. I think the issue is that the energy that's in that scene is not at all present for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's right. Maybe this is definitely... Uh, something in isolation that doesn't actually have any bearing on the season ongoing. Um, but it is just, I think a, a just, it's just a nicer way of addressing that ongoing storyline. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like the, the scene that you highlighted as well, like where Martha says, you know, he's not seeing me. He's just remembering is like a poetic description, which uh, brutally accurate, I would say. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, no, it is accurate, but it's said in a poetic way. Whereas before, it's like, yeah, I love him, but he doesn't love me. It's like, okay, way to be obvious. Yeah, before it's kind of like 
a guy writing how he thinks a woman would speak poetically about love. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get it. And, uh, yeah. On the subject of Martha, I think that she gets some great stuff here. She also gets some really shabby treatment again at the doctor's hands. But I do... I do love the way that she's utilized in this story, especially the um, the the bit at the top uh, where they're all on the top of the Empire State Building and the pig slaves are coming up in the lift, and she has to think quick of a way to to like save them all, and she uses the lightning strike to like she lays out this line of like metal rods to use the lightning strike that's going to hit the building to electrocute them, and. I think it's a great moment. I think it gives Martha like a chance to be like, oh, I did that without thinking and they were humans and I killed them. Um, it's a great mm-hmm. bit of quick thinking. I just think that a lot of Martha's skills are very well utilized in this story. Oh yeah, completely agreed. Um, and you're right. The way that like she, because she's been spending time with the Daleks, not the Daleks, with the doctor, um, she is, you know, slowly learning that, uh, there will be times on these adventures where you need to let go of the the human impulse and embrace the chaos of, of the moment and do what needs to be done, which she does do. And she does it in a smart way. She ends up killing in a, a, a box full of, um, you know, previously human people. Um, and yeah, that, that, that little moment where she has to grapple with that morality is a, a good step for her, um, her overall character development. Uh, I do wonder how that ties into how military pro she becomes eventually. Um, but again, that that's an eventually Martha problem. Um, I think that the, the stuff that she has with, uh, Andrew Garfield's character is, uh, slight, but it is there. Um, you know, he plays this yeah. very, like he, he essentially plays the companion before they join the doctor, like very like wide eyed Bucky, you know, fucking raring to go, ready to do the right thing and whatnot. Um, and so their engagements, I, I think are, are sweet and interesting. Um, if, if just a little bit, C tier in terms of what the episodes are actually paying attention to. Yeah. Um, but you know, I like Martha. So it's, it's good to see Martha doing things that isn't just pining. I like you bringing on the subject of Frank played by Andrew Garfield. I like, really like the moment when Martha has been captured and she's in the sewers and she sees Frank because she like, like, you know, goes Frank and she pulls him into a big hug and she's just like, so in the moment and then I was trying to, not that mm. this bears thinking about, but I was trying to imagine Rose in that similar situation. And I just thought, oh, if it were Rose, she would just be kind of above it all in a way. Yeah, I feel like she'd be too too cool for it by this point. Yeah. So I just, I really appreciate it. I just appreciate just how much of herself Freema Adjaman gives to this role. And she's just like so present all the goddamn time. Mm. Um, and it's really, really, it's a really energetic, really good performance from her. Um, David Tennant, actually, we don't often have much to say about David Tennant on this podcast, which is a lot considering that he is like definitely the most popular doctor ever. It's, he's a huge cultural icon, but I think for you and I just, he hasn't made much of an impression to talk home about um, on the show. This story has an interesting beat that I had a lot of trouble with trying to like, just like 
make sense of in my head, which is a very specific scene where David Tennant, like, it's, it's, so Solomon uh, has is giving a speech to the Daleks who are trying to invade Hooverville. He's like, you know, can't we just come together? Can't we just be human? And the Daleks kill him on the spot. It's a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal moment for Sek as well, because it's the moment when he like expresses humanity and says that killing uh, Solomon was wrong. The doctor's response to that action is to prostrate himself in front of the Daleks and be like, if you're killing people, kill me next, kill me, kill me. And he's like beating his chest and he's like Mm. so fucking angry. And he's just like, kill me. He's basically just like screaming at them to kill him. And it's so, uh, no, it, uh, yeah, like I just, I just have so little understanding of that scene in general, um, of how it fits in with the doctor's story ongoing, how it fits in with Martha in this season. Um, it's, it's not necessarily the doctor doing a death wish sort of stuff, but is it, I, what are your thoughts? Um, that's a good thing to bring up because I don't think that, that scene is the one that is the least congruent with the way that he is throughout the rest of the two-parter, uh, which is, uh, for my money, a, a really good characterization of the Doctor here for a few reasons that we'll get to in a minute. Um, that scene, I find... Um, uh, like if you want to take it as, you know, um, here is a man who has been pushed to his absolute limit, especially by these Daleks in particular, as you said before, like he has actual history with these ones, um, as well as the history of the Daleks themselves. Um, and so if you get to the point where he's discovered the atrocities that are going on again at their hands, you know, he has a moment earlier in the tunnels with Tallulah when he first sees them and he goes like, they like, well, what is it? Like they always survive. Like they always come mm. back while I lose everything. Mm. Um, and so that desperation uh, manifesting in, in that was, I think it's in part two. Yeah, it's in part two uh, where uh, Solomon gets shot down, not just in war, but Solomon specifically gets shot down after pleading an emotional and logical case to the Daleks as well. Like he puts himself completely out on the line and tries to engage with them. Um, and it works for Sek, who who we see back at the base is obviously quite affected by what he's been saying. But for the other Daleks, they're still just fucking Daleks, so they shoot mm. him. And so I wonder if witnessing that kind of a death after getting to know the people of Hooverville the way that he has in the sort of short time, but he clearly has a good connection with them as well as knowing the cult of Scaro, the Rose grief is still going on. The momentum of the entire Dalek war is still going on. You take all those elements and you combine them together and you could kind of see a situation in which he has a bit of a, not a psychological break, but an emotional snap where he stops thinking logically and just does the whole like, let's just fucking end this then. Like, please, let's stop the pain. I think you could give it that generous of a reading. Um, I just wish that the episode itself had drawn attention to that. Well, I think actually more the problem is um, David Tennant himself. Because one of the things that really annoys me about the previous season was, like, how quick to anger he was over the silliest things sometimes. And it's it's an annoying impulse of his to go from zero to a hundred. Not annoying, actually. I mean, that's a performance choice. Um, that he's obviously made for the characterization of his doctor. He's very in the moment, like Martha is. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. feeling every emotion thoroughly. Um, 
but it's just such an outrageously big choice in that scene um, that has seemingly come out of nowhere. But as you very rightly pointed out, hasn't come from nowhere. And actually, when I think about it on that level, totally tracks. So I don't know. I really don't know. No, like I, I get it. It's it is a huge moment, and I do think that's like as you just said. That's what we struggled the most with with David Tennant is that he does tend to go too big, uh, and I think he does that because audiences respond really well to massive performances. Mm. Clearly, like the the way that people remember him is is god tier basically, um, and so for us to go back and sort of see him just screaming a lot. Um, I get it. I get the impulse. Uh, again, it's just, you know, the text isn't quite there to support it. Um, but I do think that that scene stands out so much because either side of it, you've got a really great performance by David Tennant here. And like one where I feel he is the doctor and not just like his doctor, but the doctor. Um, I think the, the biggest, not the biggest example, but like one of the ones that really stood out for me is, um, I think at some point Solomon basically pins him down and is like, no, 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 no. You've said you're quote unquote, just like a traveler or whatever, but like, seriously, who are you? What is going on here? Um, and he's obviously talking to him with a, a huge amount of like, uh, uh, you know, Ooh, this, you're special. You're big. Well, what is this? And the doctor replies by just going like, oh, I'm just sort of passing by. But, but the way David Tennant delivers it, it reminds me of Capaldi's characterization once he realizes who he is again, which is the idiot with a box. You know, it's that end of the like death in heaven two part where it's like, thank you for reminding me. I'm just a guy with a box trying to do the right thing. Um, and that is the vibe that I get from the doctor in this episode, which is why you know, he comes in with that kind of like casual fun. I'm going to save the day energy. And then he finds like some flesh samples down in the sewers and he's doing a, a couple of tests on them. And you get this like big, crescendo moment where there's like the musical number is going on in the background uh there's stuff going on with the Daleks at the same time and he realizes that the origin for this flesh is Scaro and the way he says Scaro has so much forbidden word energy to it he almost whispers it to himself because he doesn't want to believe that this is happening again and it's just two moments that I think anchor this performance in both of its extremes that I, I fucking adore I just love them Look, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> all of that is true. I just can't get on that level, unfortunately, with him in this particular episode. I don't see anything necessarily different um, here. Okay. And I think <laughs> to look at it from my perspective, you need to look at how he treats Martha in this episode. And it's more of the dismissive, more of the... I do honestly get the impression that he, and this isn't a bad, uh, it tracks again is what I'm going to say. Um, but I do get the impression so often with his performance and the way he talks to Martha is that he's talking through her. Um, and it, it doesn't make fun to watch, especially, um, so after Martha's electrocuted the pig slaves and, um, he gives her a hug and then because he gives her a hug, the lift goes down and it goes down to the Daleks. And he's like, ah, oh, Martha, that's why you never waste time in a hug. And it's like, oh, she just wanted a hug. Mm. Like, I, I don't know. And I know that's not David Tennant's fault. Obviously it's not. 
I think he's playing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, that's not really a problem with the performance. That's the writing that's you're mad at. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I can't help but let those feelings impact on my feelings about David Tennant's performance. Right. Uh, which okay. is a colder version of the Doctor this year, and again, it's all with purpose. It all makes sense. It, I know where it's coming from, but it isn't the mercurial performance that I remembered. It isn't the David Tennant that I think we will actually get in season four, um, and I'm just personally not there yet with him. Um, which is funny because I also remember I'm, saying this season that this is the season where he snaps into focus. So it's, it's an odd one. I think this, this story exemplifies some of his um, natural impulses from that we saw last season, but also has some really good, like, like you say, like some really good moments where he just like, he does carry the full weight of that character on his shoulders. I really like weirdly <laughs> the bit where he walks over the theater stairs, the theater seat, sorry, to, confront the Daleks mm. um, in the theatre. Um, just as like purposeful walking over the top of them is like an odd image, but also kind of cool. Um, but they're few and far between for me. Okay, that's fair. How did you feel about, because um, I put this in my notes, it was a moment that really stood out for me was, um, you know, at, at the very end, once all is said and done, there's uh, Khan is the last remaining Dalek and the Doctor goes to confront him. And, you know, they're in this big empty lab. They're standing at opposite ends of it. And the Doctor just says, now what? Like, he's just so tired of the fight. And mm-hmm. I think at that point, he's emotionally trying to reach out to this Dalek who again, due to that amazing camera work that we keep talking about, you can almost see hesitation on its non-existent face. Yeah, especially when it realises it's alone. I do I do yeah. like that scene. I am annoyed at how many Daleks die in this episode, um, leaving just one. Three? Yeah. <laughs> well, because there's four. Like, it, it, it's all about scale, man. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, his confrontation with the quote-unquote last Dalek is a great scene. Um, and also the bit where he's like, uh, you're facing the only person who might show you some compassion. The way he says compassion is mm. quite erotic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, do you know what? Actually, another annoying thing about this episode that I find it follows on from that scene where, Laszlo is dying and the doctor's like, no, 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 not today. I won't have one more death because again, I get it. I get like where it comes from. I get the impulse. I like it. But that scene of like, I'm not going to let another person die for me feels quite rote at this point. And this is another thing that I, that annoys me about David Tennant's and Russell T Davies uh, writing more so actually is he will often write those moments through a very emotionless lens because it's almost like he's just churning them out. I know this isn't written by Russell T Davies, but we get that a lot with David Tennant in future. Well, I was just going to say, because like I, they, you get the, you get that really good scene where Tallulah's like, you know, you got to do something, you got to help him. And they're on the ground and the doctor gets that good ramp up moment where he's mm-hmm. like, um, oh, Tallulah to save him, I would need a, a laboratory with a bunch of chemicals. And then like, he's, you can tell he's slowly building up to be like, and I've fucking got it. Like he can do it this time. I think it's one of the few times it actually does earn mm-hmm. the impact of just this once 
someone's going to live. You know what? You're, you're probably right. And I think my feelings are obviously informed by what's going to come and what's been. Um, yeah. I think it's just that like you, you definitely take a very holistic view sometimes. And I mean, I, I do that when I think about like the social issues in the writing as opposed to the plot work, if that makes sense. Except for when it comes to the Daleks, in which case I'll always consider their entire history because most of it sucks. Great. Um, <laughs> I think you're absolutely, I think you're actually you're right probably on that front. And obviously my view of David Tennant is more holistic than this episode in particular, but we can address that another time. I think that there's only other one other sort of thing that we both want to talk about with regards to this episode, and you touched on it briefly before, James. Dalek sick. Now, I can forgive the accents because they don't matter much to me. I can, like, I like the 1930s setting. I like the musical number. I like the whole thing. But a big barrier for me that I've overcome, but a big barrier nonetheless, to liking this story was... The way they depicted um, uh, Dalek sick, specifically the design work to create the prosthetic, I am not entirely convinced of it. And there's just something very masky about the whole design that feels like they, uh, they, they could have used a more creative choice or done something a bit I don't want. I don't want this argument to come down to it should have been better, but it should have been better. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. Like, I, I, I don't see the problems that you see with it. I, I think it genuinely looks pretty great. Uh, I think it's moist. I think it's creepy. See, I think it still looks like dicks, but I think it looks <laughs> to completely like uh, go against everything you just said. I think it looks dry, very dry. <laughs> as a like it looks like plastic or latex to me and the divide between the like the head section and the face section is very obvious to me and i don't know if it necessarily looks creepy purely because they've given him that one big dalek but that one big eyeball he just looks constantly sort of amazed at everything that's going on around him um (laughs) <laughs> it's which I mean you could almost say is actually a part of his characterization because he's seeing the world for the first time <sighs> but I digress you could but I don't think that was intentional at all um it's it's annoying so in the notes I put a side by side comparison of the Dalek mutant in the sec before he merges with Diagoras and then Dalek sec as he is when he comes out of the shell and I love the CGI little green mutant they did for that section with the long tentacles that mm, pull him the in. The tendrils. Oh, it's yeah. so creepy. It's so creepy and so well done. And I love that whole section, actually that whole scene of him like pulling Diagoras into him. Um, I just, it's just so, so creepy. Um, it annoys me then that I look at that and then I look at the end result where it's this kind of like, it just, it just looks the bits that should convince me of its reality look very very fake and it like you said doesn't help that he's got six dicks on his face even if (laughs) that was definitely i think the right choice to make because like obviously having flopping davy jones tendrils would have been much worse so animatronic little tendrils probably is like the best way to go like i don't deny that it just 
I just like I think about what they could have done, the creative choices that they could have taken, and it it does annoy me slightly that this is what they went with. Having said all of that, it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of these episodes as a whole. I still kind of like get a thrill out of seeing it in general, just because it is so different and interesting to look at. It just takes it away from me in terms of the characterization of Sek. And I think that the actor Eric Lauren does a, like a decent enough job considering how like much facial expression is robbed of him by way of this mask. Mm. Um, yeah, I just think that it's it's a, it's a, it's a shame to me. Um, yeah, look, I, I that that's fine. Like, I, I think it's okay for us to just fundamentally disagree on this one. Like, you don't like it. I like it. Um, I think we both made pretty strong cases for why it does or doesn't work for us. Um, the only part that I don't like is how, uh, humanoid the body still is. I think mm. that's the awkward part for me. Um, and to counter your point, because I like disagreeing with you, <laughs> I think Davy Crockett tentacles actually would have worked better for me than the nub dicks. Um, <laughs> but Nub dicks is something I never thought I would say on my podcast, but here we are. Um, before we wrap they're up, also they're also not are they, are nub they, dicks. They're quite girthy, I would say. Um, I guess nubs compared to the other Dalek tentacles that we saw Khan had earlier. Uh, Sek had True. earlier. Mm, mm. Uh, before we wrap up today, uh, are there any other uh, specific scenes or moments or technical elements that you want to draw attention to? Like sort of rapid well, fire positivity? You know... There is just one other thing I do want to say, which is just like, I, okay, so we're Australian, right? We don't get taught American history at school. And Mm. one of the things, I remember this episode going out and I remember learning a lot about the depression, about America, about New York, about Hooverville in particular, which I had no idea existed before this episode from this story in particular. And I just want to say, I think that this would have been the first time a lot of people who lived outside of America were encountering these things for the first time. And so it's on that front as well. I think it's successful. It's like a history as a historical. Um, that's my only other note. Oh, I had to have one other note, which was uh, when the doctor says, you can kiss me later. You too, Frank, if you want. And Andrew Garfield smiles. Gay cannon. It's gay cannon. Mm. It's, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, gay things in this episode, um, I want to draw special attention to the massive musical number that <laughs> happens sort of partway through part one. Um, you put the devil in me or whatever the song is called. It's it's so fun and, and lively and richly filmed and it sounds good and it looks good. I I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where like I can't believe it in the same episode that I got a personally deeply satisfying Dalek story. We also got a massive musical number from from showgirls i it's just it's that dichotomy it's that contrast it's the blending that uh it's what makes this such a, a special two-parter for me totally yep i agree with that i think the like it's a good impulse to uh, put a musical number in a doctor who episode and we should see more of it yeah agreed agreed um so as we like to do here on Two Hearts. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. Um, Callum, what are you, you going to be giving uh, this two-parter today? Well, individually, I'd probably give it a uh, a B plus and an A minus uh, for Daleks of Manhattan Ooh. evolution, respectively. Um, 
That's wild. As a whole story, um, props a <laughs> it probably a B actually only so we can get the like B movie reference in uh yeah sure okay fair enough um I am gonna give uh Daleks in Manhattan I think is a A minus um and Evolution of the Daleks is uh and I didn't really get into this during the episode because we just wanted to kind of focus on the things that we liked here I think it's a it's a much clunkier two-parter it's very uh bogged down by a lot of exposition at times um so I'm gonna give uh Evolution a like a B minus I, I think nuts. the whole thing even like if well okay <laughs> um, as a as a two-parter though I think collectively it's an A for me uh, I think this is yeah. really really good Doctor Who really really great Dalek stuff um, and yeah I just I had a really good time with it fantastic fantastic as always we have been Two Hearts and you can reach out to us if you'd like to drop your notes about or thoughts about Doctor Who about this podcast about what we said you can drop us a line at Two Hearts podcast at gmail.com that's to the word to or you can reach out to us on twitter instagram and facebook at two hearts pod that's the word that's the let number sorry two i've been callum obviously and you can reach out to me on twitter and instagram at theatricallum and I've been James. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at OMG More James, uh, where I've been tweeting up a storm about WandaVision, <laughs> um, which shockingly good. <laughs> yeah. We've been following WandaVision every week and, uh, you know, it's appointment television. Yeah. Almost like Doctor Who used to be. Now, um, sorry. Uh, now, next week, we will obviously be tackling the uh, uh, Lazarus experiment and 42, but. Bef- just a bit of housekeeping um i'm about to go into a very busy period of work and i'm also moving house so we'll just be taking a bit of a break unsure where the next episode will coming out but we'll let you know very very soon yeah it should still fall within our roughly two occasionally three week gaps um but yeah uh obviously keep an eye on, on our twitter if you uh want updates on that um but in the meantime yeah go ahead and watch uh Two very, um, uh, Meh? um, um two, two episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> hey, I haven't watched them yet, so I could watch them come back next week and be like, guys, this is the best Doctor Who's ever been. I won't, but it could happen. <laughs> but it's a nice thought experiment. All right, folks, we kept you long enough. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, stay kind, be good to each other, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. You lured me in with your cold gray eyes Your simple smile, your bewitching lies One and one